You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So imagine this. A quarterback who left his previous stop because there were some questions about how much autonomy and voice he might have in the decision-making, goes to a new team where some have gone as far as to call his new coach a sycophant for him, willing to do whatever he says. And in the very first game of the year, with the game on the line and a fourth and five, a situation that 48% of NFL teams converted on in the last season plus, and instead the coach goes with a 64-yard field goal. We don't have to imagine it. It's what happened in Russell Wilson's return to Seattle, and it resulted in a Broncos loss. So the question is, did Nathaniel Hackett in his opening head coaching game make a mistake? Obviously. Has he figured out it was a mistake? Well, we'll hear from him in just a moment. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to react to the field goal call down the stretch last night. And, of course, we've got some Jerry Jones news, don't we always? It's ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz, I don't think we even have to talk about whether that was the right call, right? I mean, statistically, everything told us it wasn't. Kickers are one for, sorry, two for 41 in the history of 64 plus yard field goals. Even McManus, who's got a hell of a leg, one for seven on 60 plus. There was no reason to make that call. We don't even have to debate it, right? No, there's no, absolutely no debate to it. And I'll uh, credit our great stats and info group because I kept hearing everybody talk about the lack of success for kickers. And in my mind, because I'm a constant troll, I thought, oh, well, what about the success rate of fourth and five? Well, fear not. Stats and info figured that out. Russell Wilson has converted 57% of -hmm. the fourth downs in his career that were between four and six yards. And NFL teams converted 46%. Of those same plays. So you got about a 7% chance of hitting the kick compared to the entire league and about a 46% chance of keeping the drive going. In an analytics world, this is one of the dumbest decisions yeah. we've seen a smart right. coach make in a very long time. Well, and also worth noting in the context of this game itself, this is a Broncos team that amassed 433 yards. And you're like, no, nah, I don't think we're moving the ball enough. Now, if you told me it was <laughs> kicking instead of going for a touchdown, I would say probably a good idea. You keep fumbling at the goal line, and you haven't been a good at converting red zone opportunities. But just moving the ball five yards? Yeah, I think you could do that. So we agree, and everyone agrees, that Nathaniel Hackett made the wrong move. But do we agree with what I'm going to introduce to you as the very special one-clip version of good take, hot take. I don't need an open. We don't need a full segment. I just want you to hear what my buddy David Dennis Jr. said on Around the Horn today about the Broncos' new head coach. You could use, lose the locker room by blowing a game like this. Not, not even how you played and how you coached in the fourth quarter at the end of that drive. The whole game was amateur hour from the beginning. It was like they rolled him out of bed and had him coach a game. They were doing um, shotgun uh, running plays. From the goal line, they couldn't get organized enough, which led to one into a fumble. Three times they were delayed games. They ran the ball only 19 times, even though they were averaging five yards per carry. This looked terrible. And I know yesterday was overreaction Monday, but we're going to carry that on to Tuesday. If I'm the if I'm Denver, I'm going to pick up the phone and see what Sean Payton is doing. Okay, Fitz, are we ready to fire Nathaniel Hackett? Just one week into his tenure. I, mm, see, this is tough because I'm not a total moron despite popular perception. <laughs> and it feels like after one game, you don't give up on a coach. But I will say this, Sarah, as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, I have seen so many 
coaches that from day one when you saw them on the sideline, you're like, this guy's an idiot, and this team does not oh, no. get it. And, you know, oh. I'll go back to the Lane Let's Kiffins not say idiot. of the That's, world. You know, the, the, the second iteration of Art Shell. Like, I, I've seen – I've seen some coaching that you just sit there and you're like, how did this guy even get a job? If I'm a Broncos fan, that's how I felt last night. I mean, mm. there is a moment where you turn around and you say, my God, like, I'm not going to fire somebody after one game, but I don't feel good about my situation after one game. And this was the thing that I questioned so much about the Broncos. Do they have a the, they have the youngest coaching staff in the NFL, the least experienced coaching staff in the NFL top to bottom? Do they have the experience to make the most of this roster? And last night, we got a very specific answer to a very specific question. It was, oh, hell no. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Spain and Fitz is what you're listening to here. I have a quick question for you. It was some trivia that I learned ahead of today's Around the Horn. Not Bill Belichick, who lasted zero games as the New York Jets head coach. He was contractually the head coach as soon as Parcells retired, but he immediately stepped down. So we're not counting him. What is the shortest tenure for an NFL head coach after that? Oh, my God. Um, Take a I guess. Mean, I I, my first thought is Lane Kiffin was only the coach of the Raiders for a, a season, 20 games. a little over a season. Okay. 20 games? He's, okay, uh, so gonna... he's, he's number five. Oh, uh, oh you good, got, good. Yeah. You got Lou Holtz and Urban Meyer that made it 13. You oh, got Pete McCulley that made it nine. And then this one I did not know until today. George Allen, who, by the way, was a Hall of Fame coach who never had a losing season. But his second stint with the Rams, he made it two preseason games oh my god what what two like what the preseason hell games. Wrong? you're like i you don't know, what, know. George, i want around. no we're done i want to grind the tape on those two games i just want to <laughs> know what could have gone so wrong in two preseason games anyway it's spain and fit so we disagree with david dennis jr not yet a uh, time to fire him but like you said something to keep an eye on and whether this seems to be a theme and to be fair the unintended consequences of this, which could have reverberated much further if he had dug in his heels and doubled down on it, particularly in the sense of his relationship with Russell Wilson and everybody else in that locker room, at least helped by him, and that's Nathaniel Hackett, the Broncos head coach, saying this today. Looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. One of those things, you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. But in that situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. We were third and 15, I think, third and 13. I'm more upset about that play before it to lose yards. Getting that there would have definitely been better to be able to call that same play and get extra yards. But um, he dumps it out to Javante. Javante makes a move. Goes a lot farther than I think we had anticipated. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark. 46-yard line was where we wanted to be, and we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to Brandon, and we did. Didn't work. Sucks, but, hey, that's part of it. Uh, you know, it's good that he said we shouldn't have, but it almost sounded like he was saying because we missed, not because yeah. that was a bad decision all around. Also, you only get so many my bads when you're running a whole organization, yeah. right? So, like, mm -hmm. it, it, it feels pretty harsh to have to use that after one game. And, right. Uh, you know, and especially when you know that you've had – you have a quarterback that did at one point have a prickly relationship with this prior organization. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that this is the look you want starting out of the gate. You know, I, I, I respect any on person the first coming tee. up and saying my mistake, but I don't love it. You don't want a mulligan on the first tee. You got you got <laughs> right. a lot more holes to play. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Quickly, the other news of the day, Cowboys' Dak Prescott not going to go on injured reserve. 
Jerry Jones said he thinks the surgery went so well. I believe he said this while Dak was still on her anesthesia, but he was very confident uh, that he doesn't expect him to miss six to eight weeks. Instead, this is their plan. We uh, feel very good after surgery, after listening to the medical people, uh, that uh, Dak has a real chance to uh, be back out there throwing the ball pretty quick. Do you think the timeline is closer to the four-game timeline or, or, or the six to eight? as good as I know how to give, only, as you know, uh, in medical, nobody knows those timelines good. But if we thought he wasn't going to be ready to go for uh, four games until after four games, we would put him on IR. We're not doing that. In medical, nobody knows those timelines good, uh, for sure. Obviously, uh, you know, Jerry Jones holds a lot of positions with the Cowboys fits. I think in this case, he is not actually playing team doctor. He is potentially playing CFO. And by that, I mean, he's looking at a team that didn't look that good with Dak in there. That doesn't have real true F- Super Bowl aspirations, whether or not he will say that publicly. I, I don't think he will, but I think he can read the writing on the wall. And he's saying, I'm not spending draft picks or money to go out and get a quarterback to replace him if I don't think this season is salvageable I would rather take a a flyer on him healing fast yeah well and if your only goal is the Super Bowl and at Jerry's point in his life I think that's all he cares about all of this conversation about any any solution other than Dak doesn't get you to a Super Bowl so you better like pray to all of the golden gods that can help you with that one thing because that's all that that's where you got to put your money in that bank it's Spain and Fitz. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, the other big news of the day, the punishment for Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver after a lengthy investigation into workplace misconduct allegations. We'll talk about details and whether it was enough next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Okay, this is a good this is a good segue. I was inexplicably whistling Winds of Change by the Scorpions. And then a great inexplicably song, by the way. A great next song. commercial break. Yeah, a great song. And you are a spectacular whistler, by the way. Thank you. I'm a great whistler, but I do it a lot absentmindedly. <laughs> and the next commercial break, I was randomly whistling. And someone said, what is that? And I said, I don't know. It's that song that goes, da-na-na-na-na-na, da-na-na-na-na-na. And now none of us can think of it. So please save us. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and tell me what the heck song I'm singing. Da-na-na-na-na-na is all you're getting, okay? It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz's aces are in Game 2 of the WNBA Finals tonight. They lead the series 1-0. Game is at 9 p.m. Eastern. We will get into that series and make our predictions a little bit later. Uh, A lot of good stuff from the Sun in that Game 1, holding the aces to their lowest point total of the season. Uh, We'll see if that was uh, a matter of a bad shooting night for Las Vegas or something that Connecticut did to slow them down and whether they could do it again. So we'll get to that later in the show and see just how nervous Fitz is. But the big news of the day in the basketball world is finally the results of a lengthy investigation into Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver. He's been suspended one year and fined $10 million. $10 million, the most that the league is allowed to fine him 
it amounts to a tiny, tiny percentage of his riches, particularly when you consider the valuation of the franchise. I believe they said it was roughly somewhere between one half of a percentage point of the value of the franchise. So uh, a lot of people questioning that lengthy that length of the suspension uh, and not a larger uh, uh, accountability for him, including Baxter Holmes, who is one of the people who broke this story. He said this on NBA Today. There's a range of emotions. You know, you mentioned earlier in the show a female former staffer who described this as being a slap on the wrist, but also a measure of relief that what they said to the attorneys was taken seriously, that something actually happened. Um, I have a, a recent message from a current staffer who said, and I quote, I cannot express to you how mad and disappointed people are at the spineless nature of the NBA's decision. I also talked to a high-level executive who was in the context of what the punishment was for Donald Sterling and looking at the, the breadth of the NBA's report, the range of allegations at the time, the time period elapsed, can't understand and voices to me how this was not more severe. Fitz, I mean, I think especially compared to Donald Sterling, you just wonder what did the NF NBA need to see in order to believe that this was a guy that was not worthy of, of keeping his position? I think that's the most important part of this question that we still need details on, because let's be real. I mean, if we're looking for a Donald Sterling solution of requiring him to sell the franchise, I always sort of laugh a little at the concept of that being punishment when you consider the fact that Sarver bought this team for roughly $400 million in 2004. It's worth $1.8 billion now, according to Forbes. So, you know, it, it is hard to say, here's your punishment. You get to walk with $1.4 billion in profit. But I do look at the NBA and say, what were you looking for? Because the NBA announcing the punishment said the investigation found that during his time with the Suns and Mercury, he used the N-word at least five times when recounting the statements of others. And there were also instances of inequitable conduct towards female employees, sex-related comments. I mean, the, the league is telling you that they feel like they found all of this, and that's not enough to do more? So now I have to wonder what actually corrects the culture that is in Phoenix, because realistically yeah. so what he goes away for a year then he comes back and he continues to take over the business that he runs for a ton of money and he continues to now now you've got this awkward who talked to who who told yep. on who like it, it just mm -hmm. feels like this is a culture killer not a culture fixer it's spain and fitz Sarah spain jason fitz i want to give just a couple details because a lot of people will see the headlines and the vagaries and without the audio or video that's attached to some of these cases that really gets people ire going, uh, I, I think it's hard to think about really what it must feel like face-to-face -face with your boss when these things occur. Ben Golliver uh, posted some of the specific specifics, Washington Post, NBA writer. Uh, the investigation found that Robert Sarver talked about a sexual act and condoms at all employee meetings, told a blowjob story in a business meeting, told a female employee, you've never seen anything this big while preparing to take a shower at a team facility. He emailed pornography to a small group of male employees, dropped his underwear unnecessarily while a male employee was performing a fitness check on him danced pelvis to pelvis with a male employee at a Hollywood uh, holiday party, asked a female employee if she got an upgrade, as in a breast augmentation, told a pregnant employee she couldn't continue an assignment because her, quote, baby needs their mom, not their father. That's just a couple things. What I would ask is why the standard for leadership is so low and why our answer to all these investigations, all of these questions about billionaire men in charge is always, well, you can't take the, uh, the, the team away from him, or, well, we've never seen this before, there isn't a precedent, or um, anything 
other than how can you be a part of a collective that is the NBA and the WNBA that so stands for progressivism, diversity, respect for black people, for women, for everyone, and then argue that this person should be in charge of a multi-billion dollar franchise and their WNBA franchise, both of which are full of black people and women. When you have very clearly disrespected both, not to mention the inappropriate behavior with with male employees that doesn't fall under any DEI. It's just what the hell are you doing? Uh, I just wonder if it's at what point we stop looking to the past for the way that we pussyfoot around these issues and start actually making people truly accountable for not being the kind of people who should be running these organizations. At some point, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, the investigation included interviews with over 320 current and former employees. I wonder how any of these decisions make those employees feel like they have a better work environment. And, you know, we're going to talk tonight a little bit about apologies and when they sort of ring hollow to me. Uh, Sarver, in his statement through the Sun, said, while I disagree with some of the particulars of the NBA report, I would like to apologize for my words and actions that offended our employees. I take full responsibility for what I've done. That's a portion of what he says. I don't know how you can say you disagree with some of the particulars of the report and then say you take full responsibility for what I've done. Like the, Those two things can't coexist to me. This report is very definitive in what it says he was a part of. And for him to come out and say anything other than, holy, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm a piece of you know what, and I need to mm-hmm. be better. If you qualify this in any way, which is what he's done, all you've done is taken some of the power of your apology away and you've made it 100%. all 100%. And I want to quickly play David Jenis Jr. because I think he nailed it today on Around the Horn. This is a travesty. If you read the report that he said the N-word five times, he insulted women. He said, I hate diversity. And the NBA's conclusion was that he had no animus towards uh, black folks and women. Did they ask the black folks or the women if they felt animosity by what he was saying? Again, the problem here, that one year does nothing. And now you're putting the onus on black players at the Phoenix Sun, black women at the Phoenix Mercury to protest and do something when the responsibility should be on these white billionaires to stand against the racism and misogyny that they are allowing to continue in this league. Yeah, that's about it. You're putting the onus on everybody else instead of the people with the power who could actually make a bold and brave move. Our next guest is going to talk about week one in the NFL. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Yes! I mean, you the guys are good. You guys I'm are I'm really good. impressed, honestly. Sarah was whistling it earlier than we sang it, and uh, Twitter helped us out. It is Midnight yep. Rider. That is the song that's been stuck. Yep. Uh, in all of our heads that we couldn't come up with. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll continue to break down all the Midnight Rider takes that you need uh, <laughs> as this is going to make the rest of the show go off the rails. But in the meantime, we have football to react to from a week one that was wild and chaotic. So to do that, one of our favorites from Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz joins us now. Aaron, thanks for the time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us on a beautiful Tuesday night. Uh, there's been so much hot takery over Nathaniel Hackett's decision to go for the 64-yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five. What was your take? It's not really that hot. The takes are not that hot. Everyone (laughs) agrees. It was a mistake. Like the whole analytics world on Twitter just like blew up when he did it. And Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, Shannon Sharp, who's not exactly an analytics guy, blew up when he did it on the Manning cast. (laughs) So everybody agreed it was kind of insane 
to send a guy out there to kick what was, I think, like the third longest field goal of all time <laughs> instead of trusting Wilson on a fourth and five and calling a timeout letting 40 seconds run off the clock. Yeah. As Rialli said today, nerds and jocks agreed, which means you really done did it because uh, everybody agreed you messed up. Hey, Aaron, part of the reason we wanted to have you on today, and I think week one sort of played this out, was with the exception of a couple really great teams at the top that were very dominant, there was perhaps more bad football or parody than expected. And I listened to you on Mina Kimes' show featuring Lenny, and I was not surprised this week to see a couple of the teams that everybody dragged, including the Giants and the Bears, win their games because your models over at Football Outsiders predicted a ton of parity this year, yes? Yeah, we had teams closer together than almost any other year. So, you know, the teams that we thought were the best this year were mostly the teams that everybody thought were the best, like Buffalo and Chiefs and Tampa Bay. And it's not that we thought that the Giants or Detroit were pretty good, it's just that the best teams came out better than usual, and the uh, sorry, the best teams came out worse than usual, and the worst teams came out better than usual. And I do think you saw some of that this week, where there were surprises like the Giants playing relatively well, like Seattle, that was quite a surprise, playing relatively well, Houston playing relatively well, Atlanta playing relatively well. There were a number of surprises this week. Aaron, one of the surprises to me was not that my beloved Raiders lost, but I was surprised by something, and I need your expertise on it. I've never watched a team just shuffle offensive linemen in and out of the game with different combinations seemingly every drive in a regular season game. Is that a sustainable formula for success? I don't think so because offensive line continuity is important. It's important for these guys to have continuity playing next to each other. You know, I do know of teams that have had one position where they rotate guys in the past. I don't know of teams where everybody seems to shuffle in and out all the time. That's not a common occurrence. Yeah, I'm curious, and we're talking to Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders, at F-O underscore A Schatz. F-O-A Schatz. Best Twitter handle I've had When you look at the first week, obviously it's overreaction Monday, the biggest one of the season yesterday, Um, but there's still things to be gleaned, and I wonder which team you looked at and you thought they are the farthest away from the expectation you have for them when they hit their stride. Oh, my God, the Los Angeles Rams. Mm. (laughs) They were the worst team of the week by our numbers, and I think they went into this season thinking they were one of the five or six best teams in the league. And you do come out of that game thinking, first of all, that offensive line has some problems. And second of all, you know, at what point is the stars and scrubs model going to be a problem, right? They have such huge stars at a few positions and then a lot of weaknesses. And they've covered them over in the past because of the greatness of guys like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and You know, does that run out if the offensive line isn't so good? But I think the Rams will come back. I think the Rams will come back and still be a strong team this year. I think they just had a bad night against a really good Buffalo team. So, Aaron, when you look at week two, I'm factoring in the fact that so many teams just didn't play their starters in preseason. And I'm trying to figure out what week two is going to look like based simply on week one knocking off the rust. How do you guys figure out what to expect from a week two that could be so different than week one? 
It's hard to figure out. The fact is that it seems like for a lot of teams, the first couple weeks are almost an extension of the preseason. Like the performance in the first couple weeks correlates to performance over the entire year less than pretty much any other week on the schedule, except the last week of the season when some teams just sit guys because they're out of the playoffs or because their playoff spot is clinched or whatever. So um, I think, you know, we know less than we think we do. Basically, you can go into every season thinking you know less than you think you do and probably being right. But this year, we particularly seem to know less than we think we do. And so don't be surprised if there are some more surprising upsets, even though there are, I think, uh, four lines, five, six lines, six games with lines over a touchdown in week two. Hmm. Wow, and the, and there could still be upsets. That's a good note for the gamblers out there, the wagerers, uh, to be careful this season with a lot of that parody that you mentioned. Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders is with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. A lot of talk about teams not giving players preseason reps and it really showing in week one. By the end of the season and then the off season, and then the start of next year, will coaches remember that? and actually run guys out there? Or is that a trend we see every year where people complain about it and then once guys click in a couple weeks in, they aren't as worried about it? Or do you think that maybe people are recognizing that there's there's a little bit more value there than maybe they gave? No, I don't remember seeing this in the past. I don't remember in past years the idea that teams that didn't play their starters in the preseason struggled in the first couple weeks. And therefore, I think it might just be a one-year fluke. And there are teams that didn't have that problem, like the L.A. Chargers. They played fine in week one, despite the fact that they don't play any starters in the preseason. So my guess is that the fact that a number of teams that don't play their guys in the preseason struggled in week one is just kind of fluky. It hasn't really happened in other years. And I think going forward, it's not something you should count on every year. Right. Obviously, it's still early in the week and we're just getting over week one. But since we got you, I got to talk to you about week two. Thursday night, we get the Chargers and the Chiefs both on a short week. What what really impressed you about either of those teams in week one? Oh, I mean, the Chargers offense was uh, fantastic. Um, uh, Patrick Mahomes had one of the best games that we've ever tracked in week one in the history of our numbers, which go back 40 years. So he was outstanding. Wow. And Right, We had lots of questions going into this season about what would happen to the Chiefs without Tyreek Hill. But remember that the Chiefs still have Travis Kelsey. Right? So Green Bay has to try to replace Devontae Adams, but they don't have anyone like Travis Kelsey still there to soak up the targets and get the performance. So the Chiefs had that guy, and they you know, were outstanding on offense. And uh, what's interesting, though, is that we came into this season thinking that the Arizona defense was going to be a problem. So I don't know how much of that was Kansas City being fantastic and how much was the Arizona defense being problematic. Like I would not be shocked if the Chargers-Chiefs game goes under the total, which is 54.5, because particularly the Chargers won't have Keenan Allen, and the Chiefs are still getting used to the new receivers, even though they do still have Kelsey. And, I, you know, I don't know if those offenses will be quite as powerful in week two as they were in week one. Aaron, do you believe any of the takes about Trey Lance? Because I don't think you could see anything in a monsoon game like that. I think there's a couple positive takeaways about Justin Fields and what you saw him decide to do and how they got better in the second half. I'm just not ready to make any grand takes about the 49ers screwing things up by taking Lance just yet. 
Oh, I'm like, what are the takes other than Lance was in a monsoon? I mean, yeah. I mean, how much do you really learn from that game that going forward? Right. I don't think you learn very much. And, and listen, Lance was always going to have a learning curve. Like, we, we knew you don't judge the Lance pick based on one game. Like, you're going to have to judge the Lance pick based on two or three years, because we knew there was going to be a developmental curve for this guy. So I realize we all want a hot take and like jump to conclusions immediately, but it's going to take time. As always, follow him on Twitter at F-O underscore A shots. Check out Football Outsiders for the greatness there. We love your work, Aaron. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, happy to be on again. Talk to you guys later. Aaron Schatz making us all smarter. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. Uh, By the way, I hope he's absolutely right about that uh, Cardinals defense being, you know, a concern considering that's who the Raiders play on on Sunday. I'm already looking ahead. I'm already looking ahead. It's always Uh, about you. I'm glad it's (laughs) taken this long. She's finally realized it. There we go. Our next segment's going to pit Micah Parsons against Leonard Fournette and Parsons against Skip Bayless. That's right. You don't want to go anywhere to check this out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get back to breaking down all the hot takes that you need from the NFL action. And, of course, we have WNBA Finals Game 2 tipping off in only minutes. But there's a bunch to get to, so we'll do it the way only this show can. It is time for Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. There is a feud a brewing between <laughs> uh, one Micah Parsons and Leonard Fournette after a play went uh, sort of viral, uh, a replay of, of what looks like Leonard Fournette out there getting his and feasting, right? And it leads to this conversation. Feasting back against Parsons, knocking out, knocking down Parsons. Right. But the problem is Parsons wasn't really like – engaged at that point he was tied up with the tackle for the bucks it wasn't really like this these are the moments that we see these highlights and everybody freaks out without looking at some of the nuance right and so uh, in this moment parsons point is that while this is a big huge play for fournette to go out and say look how great i am it maybe wasn't what it seems so he goes to twitter and says and this is a quote now go watch the tape and see what happened when it was me and him one-on-one you hit someone not looking, you straight, and then a word I can't use on word, uh, radio, stop hype, hyping this week, you know what, you know what, it's football, Parsons wrote. I'm all in for this. Like when we, when we start breaking down highlights to figure out who's engaging who on what block so that we can figure out who deserves right. all the credit, this is the, the football nerd in me loves all of this. At first, I was on Team Fournette because I was like, listen, dude, just take it. He dropped you. You're not going to win every 1v1. Then I watched the clip, and I was like, oh, shoot. Parsons has a point here. Fournette took him on on a blitz pickup, but Parsons was already coming off the left edge of the Bucks' offensive line and was trying to tackle um, Josh Wells, the tackle. And so while he's still engaged with another dude, Fournette takes him out. So if you get your, your rocks off, you could be excited in the moment, but... Again, if you're going to post that clip and you're going to say Fournette took out Parsons, I completely understand Parsons being like, yeah, no, that's not right. And worth noting, Von Miller, by the way, chimed in as well and said that this kind of chip block has to be taken out because you're just letting the offense tee off on your big name pass rushers. 
and that you understand that the offense is favored in this game, but not to that point. And I kind of agree with him there. Like if it's it's tough to let someone like lay off somebody, um, or I guess lay lay out somebody who's engaged with someone else. Yeah, the the hard part. I saw Jeff Saturday chiming in on some of that today, talking about well, look at what offensive linemen have to deal with. I think both sides constantly yell at each other the little brother in me on this one just always goes back to this so like if there's ever video of me somehow taking out like Marcus Spears in the hall I don't care how it happened I'm gonna post that and I'm gonna talk my talk because it means that I took out Marcus Spears so like the little brother in me is all in for uh, Leonard Fournette talking it doesn't really matter how it happened it's a fun highlight now that being said uh, Parsons has more beef than just that going on as he was apparently scheduled to make his premiere today, his debut today, hanging out with Skip Bayless on FS1 and uh, and didn't show. So Parsons went from feuding with Fournette to feuding with Skip Bayless all in the matter of hours. <laughs> this, this, this is wild amount of work he's doing. I mean, if we're doing 1v1, I got Parsons in both of the beefs. So at least he's <laughs> in a good position. I don't know. Skip seems like he might, you know, like he'll throw an elbow you don't see coming, right? Yeah, like I mean, Skip's how can he be lose in those shoes? It. As he says, literally every day. <laughs> oh, man. I, I I appreciate the fact that, you know, Parsons out there getting his media on. But uh, it, it is probably also that feels like one of those things that's a great idea until you realize that now you're on a team that has a quarterback injury and you're going to have to go on TV and talk about that sort of stuff in the middle of the season. And Jerry's not going to like that. It feels like this was one of those ideas somebody really liked and they didn't think out all the details. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I do like him doing his media, but you got to show up for it. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's go to the next story. Quickies. The Steelers, uh, I feel like every time I hear a report on T.J. Watt, it's different because it went from he's going to be gone for the season to now he's getting second opinions. Well, as they await second and third opinions on his uh, suspected torn pectoral muscle, Coach Mike Tomlin said, quote, we're probably in a lot better place than we were after the game. So uh, they're not ruling out anything for him long term. Diana Rossini, ESPN NFL reporter, said this on Candy and Carlin about the injury. This is going to be about games, not days. So they're not going to have to make the move until Saturday about putting him on IR or not. What great news considering the crappy circumstances in a sense here that their best player isn't going to be gone too long. We all know if he had that tech surgery, that was it for the year. So this is great. Yeah, it is great. I mean, listen, you still don't want him to be out any amount of time, but the idea of losing him for the whole year in game one uh, absolutely unthinkable. So this is good, and I like how he went with the very simple I'll be back Terminator gift today to let everybody know. Well, and, and he's so wildly important to what, who the Steelers are going to be this season, right? I mean, we, we watched the Steelers key off on, on the Bengals, and I don't know that we know yet whether or not that's a statement to the Bengals' offensive line still being fixed or how great the Steelers' defense is going to be. But the Steelers' defense is going to have to be elite if they want to compete with the Ravens and the Bengals and the rest of the AFC. So T.J. Watt is as important to this team as quarterbacks are to so many. So this is a, a good piece of news for the Steelers as they try and figure out what, what to do with them as they wait their second and third opinions. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Speaking of quarterbacks, how do you like this nugget? 11 teams did not play their starting quarterback at all in the preseason. Those 11 teams went 3-8 and eight in Ooh. week one in NFL action. 3-8. and eight. That is a stunning number showing how just rusty so many quality quarterbacks were in week one. Yeah, so Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, 
Derek Carr, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill. That's not a random sampling. Those are really good quarterbacks. Those are guys that weren't playing presumably because they've got so many reps and their teams feel so solid about them that they didn't think it was necessary. I think they might be rethinking that next year. Now, and I've had this debate with a couple of people today, Sarah, because I understand that you don't want your starting quarterback to get injured in the preseason in meaningless football. But realistically, if your starting quarterback goes down for most teams, that's the end of your season, no matter when it happens, how it happens. That's just sort of the football gods didn't want you to have your, your joy that year. For me, in an AFC particularly that's going to be so tight this year, taking a loss for the first week or two while you knock off the rust – I mean, we went into last week, last year, we went into the last week of the season knowing that the Raiders-Chargers outcome was going to impact whether one or both teams or neither team went to the playoffs, right? Like, you start thinking about how thin the line is between playoffs and staying at home. I don't know that anybody really can afford to spend three weeks letting their quarterback get rhythm yep. when that's what the preseason is for. I think the question that you're asking is, are you willing to almost give up week one of 17 weeks? 17 games uh, because of the small risk of injury. And I don't know, just for a couple snaps and for a small percentage of plays, it, it might be worth taking that small risk in order to enter the season and not have to use precious game reps to catch up. Yeah, I mean, you think about that list you talked about. Uh, Russell Wilson and that offense was very good at times, but also very sloppy. Preseason mm -hmm. would have helped them. Aaron Rodgers had timing issues with his wide receivers. Preseason would have helped them. Joe and you're Burrow's talking offensive... about you're talking about guys with new offensive coordinators, right? Both of those right. guys. Uh, same with Derek Carr, new offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. uh, it looked like he was out of sync. Burrow's offensive line, so many new pieces there, didn't play particularly well. Looked like they were out of sync. It it all at some point. All of this sort of comes together to me, and I look at it, and I see teams across the league taking a loss because they're worried about injury. And I, I don't know. I, I think this could be rethought over the course of the rest of the, uh, the over the course of the next few seasons. In the meantime, obviously, as we continue to look back on Week One, we got to figure out which contending team in the NFL should be the most concerned. We'll ask our next guest next. I said that right. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.